0: Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus. I wonder if we could echo that testimony of the song that we just got done singing joyfully and listening. We are on the Lord's side by thy grace divine. Don't forget that. Well I could personally go home. I could personally not need anything more. But, um, well, maybe we do need something more. I was talking yesterday at the Youth Inspiration Day with a few people, and we were talking the number one reason why people leave The mission field. And uh, we heard this morning that the mission field is not just there. It's everywhere. So maybe we could even change the number one reason why people leave an organization, a group, a ministry. And what do you think might be the number one reason I'm sure it varies some, but what is one of the reasons on top? And we, we actually um, looked at some examples of ministry, and we looked at exactly some of the men looked at their own experience, and they said, yes, probably number one. So maybe as we are encouraged in ministry, maybe we could see one of the reasons why people leave ministries. So maybe we do need to stay here a little longer for that. Why don't we just take a word, take a time here, and pray again for this message. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so grateful to you that somebody, somewhere, ministered in our lives. And here we are, Lord, the recipient of your grace, but it was also the doing of someone's work. Lord, I pray you would take the messages that we have heard so far this morning Allow that to work in our hearts. And Lord, we also pray that you would teach us how to do that effectively. And maybe, Lord, to avoid some common pitfalls. And Lord, that you would work in our heart, in our character, in our very way we relate, so that, Lord, we can be effective in your kingdom. We pray, Lord, you would do that in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you think is the number one reason? Anybody want to venture a guess? Maybe I let too much out already. If you're wrong, that's okay. There might be more than one. There is more than one reason. What do you think might be number one Feeling valued, okay. Going to missionary, you don't feel valued, okay. Anything else? Yes. Personnel, personnel, conflict. personnel conflict. That's probably that's the one I'm talking about this morning. Yeah. Mission field, and uh, I'm talking. We're talking some uh, focusing the it on Warren this morning. He's going to go on the mission field, okay. And and he's going to have problems with the natives there. I mean, they're not going to like him all the time. They're going to be... Uh, well, you might like him at first, but after a while, they're going to seem maybe... Um, well, I don't know. I, I know that Rick has had this list one time of the stages that a missionary goes through. I don't remember what it was, but it's so interesting. At first, you're enthralled by the culture. And then you switch the whole thing completely around, and you're just... I can't stand it. And then eventually you get to some equilibrium where actually you see some good things in their culture after all. That might happen. I don't know if that will happen in a year's time or not. But So you do have problems with the natives. You do have problems with with the uh, environment that you're in and many things like that. But problems, one of the number one problems in mission field is the relationship Between the missionaries. Difficulty in getting along with each other. Maybe not feeling valued. Definitely, i definitely one of them. And missionaries go to the field the way they are. If you have character flaws here, you'll have them there. If you have phobias here, you'll have them there. If you have insecurities here, you'll have them there. And so there you go. And you come to a team that is who they are. And whatever they have, that's who they are also. So missionaries on the field have flaws. If you're independent here you'll be independent over there. If you're a lone ranger here, uh, doing it your own way, that's how you are over there. In the church setting where I came from, um, I don't know how widespread it is, but I've heard this thought pretty strongly sometimes that when uh, the, the, when a, a minister gets ordained, they go through a lot process. And when... Um, when you go through that process of becoming ordained as a minister, somehow that experience has such an effect on you that it really changes you. Well, I like to suggest it may not it doesn 't really change you a lot in the long term because who you were before is who you were after. Uh, in fact, it would be nice it would be really nice what do you think Warren uh, so it 's the experience of Going from here, having a call put on you, that'll change you. Now you're a super spiritual person. You go over there and you just, it's, it'll go. But God doesn't work that way. The shortcuts, that seems like a, that would be a good shortcut, but God doesn't work that way. Like we heard yesterday, those of you were are there, youth especially, that God does a pruning process. John mentioned that, how God prunes us so that we may be more fruitful. So, but we're all in the mission field, so this message can be for all of us. It, it's, it's a little more pertinent when you're in a mission field because when you're here, let's, let's take it in a congregation. Let's imagine there's somebody in the congregation you don't really click with. You, you can come in the morning, you can greet them, you can say hi to them, and then you go with your group of friends. But you, you don't click with this person. In fact, they sort of rub you wrong. They sort of, they're sort of annoying. Their, their ideas or their mannerism or whatever it is, is, you don't like it. And that's okay. You can get to people you like and you can just bypass them. And maybe nobody knows it but you. But in the mission field, you can't do that. You're there, and if someone's on there that rubs you wrong, that is sort of strange. You're going to have to deal with it, and especially the people, the kind of people who go on the mission field, usually are the more dynamic people. They're they're more leaders. Uh, they might feel a calling on their life, and so they are maybe stronger and bolder, and those kind of people clash quicker. So this morning, though this message may be forewarned, I would venture to guess that interpersonal relationship problems do not appear only on the mission field, am I right? Between spouses siblings, children and parents, church members, church leaders, co-workers, and the list could go on employer employees, neighbors. So for a passage turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 and we'll uh, draw will draw uh, a framework out of this verse. Now, I wasn't here a few weeks ago when John actually preached on this very passage. And I wasn't here, so I, I don't know what he preached on. Maybe I'm going down the same trail, but I, I doubt it. But Ephesians chapter 4, the first three verses. Let's read them. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all loneliness and meekness with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Walking worthy uh, the first the first thing about walking worthy there is the is in verse three where it talks about endeavoring. Endeavoring is the first action word in this passage walking worthy of the vocation God has called us and the first action word is to endeavor endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace now verse 2 is, is the characteristics or the uh, the attitudes that you are to have as you endeavor. And so this morning, I'm not going to talk about the endeavoring. I'm going to talk about the characteristics or the attitudes that we are to have called of God to be in a group, in a mission field, in a church setting, in a home setting, wherever you are, the attitudes we are to have to uh, to. To endeavor to keep that unity. You know. We can have a a list. Of things. That. Of skills. Like. uh, I don't know what they have in some meetings. Have relational skills. You can. You get taught relational skills. And and skills need to be taught. Like. Take a, a young insecure person. Who doesn't know how to carry a conversation. It's okay. To give them. Some pointers on that. Say when. Conversation is like a ball. I have the ball. I throw it to you. I say something to you. You got the ball now. And then you say something back. You throw the ball back. And then I got the ball and I throw something That's for a young person to say, that's how conversation works. That's how you interact with people. That's a skill. That's okay. In fact, uh, the Bible tells us that in Matthew 18, you're very familiar with it. Don't turn there. Uh, it talks about when someone sins against you, do this, then do this, then do this. And this is, this is the, the framework that you are to relate to this problem. But what I'm going to share this morning is, has to do more with your character. In fact, if you don't have what's in this passage here and you apply Matthew 18, it's Pretty well guaranteed, not going to go too well. If you have what's in verse 2 here, in your character in abounding qualities, Matthew 18 will go much, much better. So that's what we're going to talk about. The appeal given by Paul to walk worthy of the calling is to walk worthy of the calling we as Christians have received. And it goes back to the first three chapters of Ephesians. God is so good. He is so great. He has such a great salvation. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Walk this way. What does walking worthy look like? Well, like I had mentioned in verse 3, walking worthy looks like it is endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So one of the ways of walking worthy is able to get along with other people. And the word endeavor simply means to use speed, to make effort, to be prompt. It means put it, pretty, put it on the top of your priority list. If you're going to walk worthy of the Lord, on top of your priority list is to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. What is to accompany this earnest endeavor? And that is in verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another. That's what we want to unpack this morning. Number one reasons why missionaries leave the mission field. With all lowliness. And I guess I repeat, on home. At home or in the church, these graces are essential in interpersonal relationships. Lowliness. Next week, we're going to have a sermon. No, a sermon. A seminar all weekend on lowliness. How many people would come? That great character of lowliness. Who wants to be lowly here? Better think about it before you put your hand up. Who wants to be lowly here? Humility is a common word. And I know we all want humility. I know we do. We might not always embrace what it entails, but we do want it. I, I know you want it. Humility is the common modern word for these characteristics. It's unassuming, it's modest, it's unassertive. Well, I have to define that. Those are some words that go with humility, but you can actually be assertive in an humble way. So I have to clarify some of those things. But it's willing to put others first and to be unnoticed. So unlike me, I like to be first in line. Is that right, children? You like to be first in line? I like to win the game. I like to be the center of attention. I had a conversation, a group, and I'm the middle. I like to be praised. I like to be publicly praised and acknowledged. You know, we speak disdainfully of some uh, ostentatious celebrity. Those celebrities who just strut in their glory. And we disdain it. That's, That's disdainful. And yet there is a wannabe celebrity inside probably each one of us. The biggest problem is me. I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it, and where I want it. I want my food cooked this way. Not too crunchy, not too mushy, and on and on you can go. I want it. The problem is me. I don't deserve that. Or I deserve it. I'm entitled to it. Entitlements, talk about entitlements lately. Well, is that a little bit overstated? Maybe that's not you. Maybe it's a little bit overstated. Okay. I don't, I'm not quite that bold with that. And yet, there might be more of that inside of me and inside of you than you realize. Uh, Dr. Harry Ironside was a preacher, a famous, world-famous preacher. One time, at one point in his life, he was convicted that he was convicted that his lack of humility. So uh, one of his friends suggested that he put on one of those sandwich signs with scripture verses. You put a sign over you, a sign in the front and a sign on the back. It's a sandwich board. And now he put that on. And that he walked through town shouting the verses to everybody he meets that he has on there. And he goes to, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a world known preacher. He's a doctor, you know, doctor as far as seminary and so on. Professor going through the street, shouting these scripture verses to all. Boy, that, that'll take care of me. And he did that. And he came back after he took the board off. He said, Boy, I bet there's no one else in town who would do that. Better do it again. <laughs> what I meant is maybe we're not so bold, but humility. How humble are you? And when God says that you endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit, and you need to do it with all lowliness, all humility. Humility is preferring others first. Philippians 2 3, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. In lowliness of mind, that's the humility we're talking about. It's not expecting better treatment than Jesus got. Humility is recognizing that you might be wrong. It is the recognition that the gifts and abilities that you have are gifts that were given to you and you are to use them to reflect God and not yourself and to help others. An humble person realized that life is not about them. Someone can hurt them. Someone can ignore them. And they don't feel the need to get even. They can handle that. An humble person can handle that. That doesn't say an humble person likes to get hurt. No one likes to get hurt. Of course not. But an humble person doesn't need retribution when that happens. Some practical steps in humility. I have a list here. And uh, if you want to make a list, I'll give it to you. You can write it down. If you want to take notes, I'll try to go slow enough. And just write the first part down that I say, then I'll have a little explanation with each one. Practical steps towards humility. Admit that you're not the best at everything. You're not the best at everything. Or maybe not at anything. Your window of perspective and window of experience is very small. Others have their experience and you don't have that you don't have and you need to listen to them. Humility is doing that. Number two is to recognize your own faults. Recognize your own faults. We judge others because it's easier than judging ourselves. Number three. An humble person be grateful for what you have have a thankful heart if you look in romans chapter 1 and it talks about those people who were not thankful and pride was exactly with went exactly with that be grateful what you have an humble person is a grateful person number 4 don't be afraid to make mistakes part of being humble is understand that you will make mistakes and so will others. Number five. I don't know which number we're here. When you make mistakes, admit to them. I know at work, there's a, we have a policy that whenever you have any kind of incident with the equipment on your truck, any kind of incident at all, you are to report it. I know already it just, just a scrape. Do I really need to report that? I'd rather not. I'd rather not admit that I did this. And it's so small. Do I really need to do that? When you make mistakes, admit to them. Next is avoid bragging. If you're so great... Then other people will eventually recognize your efforts. And they will praise you for it. Don't you praise them. Another one, don't take all the credit. When you do something well, recognize there were others who helped you. There were others, it was not just you. Maybe it was also God. God. Appreciate the talents and qualities of others. Others, appreciate them. Appreciate is a heart attitude. It's not something you do. It's something you have. Stop comparing yourself to others. It is nearly impossible to be humble when you're striving to be the best or trying to be better than others. Don't be afraid to defer to others' judgment. Don't be afraid to have others speak into your life, in other words. It is easy to acknowledge that you make mistakes and that you're not always right. It's somewhat more difficult, however, to acknowledge that in many cases, other people, even people who disagree with you, might be right and you might be wrong. Compliment others. Focus on the positive attributes of others instead of always looking at their flaws. I can imagine Warren, I don't know what Warren will all face in the mission field, but I can imagine missionaries being on a field together and interacting all the time, every day, and and they're not clicking. They're rubbing each other wrong. And it goes on. I imagine after a while it's pretty hard to compliment them. (laughs) Pretty hard to see the good side of others. Another way is to be humble is to listen more than you talk. That's another great way of appreciating others more and being more humble. Interpersonal relationships. Is it more, is it easier? to get along with an humble person than with a pious person? Pious, you know. Pious. Uh, A proud person. A self-absorbed person. Is it easier to get along with an humble person or a selfish person? Which one do you want to be as you interact with people in your life? All of us possess. Now. If all of us would possess. In abounding proportions. That list that I named off. And the reality of humility. I would dare say we probably get along quite well with each other. And it could go and down your list that you wrote down. But the problem is many of us, we have it in varying degrees, but many of us, say probably all of us, can grow in this area. Like our Lord Jesus, let us walk with him with all lowliness and meekness. Okay, next quality here that we have is meekness. What is meekness? Meekness is a very interesting word. Meekness is the willingness to be governed. A submissive attitude towards authority and towards circumstances. Both. William Booth said, The greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. And meekness is surrender. It is actually uh, a good word to describe meekness actually is gentleness. It is power under control. I guess as I was looking for an illustration to describe it, the best one I could find and I've heard it before is the difference between a wild horse and a tame horse. Horse is a powerful animal, and you have a wild horse that's running free, and it is a powerful horse, but then you take a horse, you take that horse, and you actually train the horse, and that power gets under subjection so that a person has control of that power, and that power is then channeled in a meaningful direction. One is unpredictable and unharnessed and undirected. The other is controlled and ordered and useful. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. You know, our Lord Jesus exhibited these. I was just thinking of the power that our Lord Jesus had. And there was a time when, they were, when Jesus and his disciples were headed for Jerusalem and this, this Samaritan village would not accept them. Now, this, this, is, this was rude. Now, I don't know exactly what was going on in the culture. But the fact is, it was very inconvenient. And you, 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 come to a, you come to an area, and you're tired, and you're hungry, and it's getting dark maybe. And, and they have room, but they reject you. You can't do it. We won't take you. And Jesus had power. And the disciples said, hey, let's use that power. Why don't you call fire down from heaven and just take care of him? You got the power. Do it. And the Lord Jesus said, no, that's not the spirit. His power was under control. But we men, I don't know, ladies too, (laughs) we're goal-oriented. We're passionate. We want to get things done. And my motto in life is, get her done. We have zeal. We have purpose. Good. Channel that zeal. Channel that purpose. Bring it under control and use it. That's what meekness is. That passion and zeal wildly is going to destroy rather than bring things together. Imagine with me a zealous missionary or a zealous father or a mother or a zealous church leader or a zealous church member that has the zeal but doesn't have it under control what for relationship issues might occur a story that i came up with i don't know it is an anonymous story but this man said when i was working in a dairy farm construction construction our crew was putting up a uh, comfort stall barn for an Amish family in indiana there were children all over the place from the upper teens to little toddlers. These Amish farmed with horses. Big Belgian horses. Those big work horses. One of the Amish children was five-year-old Levi. Levi was five years old. He could walk right underneath the belly of the horses without his head touching the belly. Horses were big. He was little. He could walk right underneath. One day a team of Belgians was standing in the barnyard strapped to a hitching bar on the ground behind, lying on the ground behind them. That bar could be hitched to a wagon or other equipment to be pulled by the team. Levi's father told him, Levi, that his brothers out in the field need the horses. So this little five-year-old guy, boy grabbed a hold of the reins, stepped on the running gear, that's what we call it, and drove those horses out to his brothers. That's a picture of power under control, a meekness. We like to be powerful, but God wants us to show real power by our gentleness and control. Meekness is an attitude or quality of heart, whereby a person willingly accepts and submits without resistance to the will and the desires of someone else. The meek person is not self-willed, not continually concerned with self, his own ways, his own ideas or wishes. He is willing and he's able to put himself in second place and submit himself to achieve what is good for others. This is a sign, not a weakness of character as some may think, but of strength, it requires great self-control to submit to others. And how well I know that. The greatest preacher of all time, the Lord Jesus Christ, said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So contrary to the way we think. Blessed are the strong, for they will get control of the earth. You be meek, and it'll be given to you. That's what Jesus says. He also described himself in this way Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. I wonder how many of us would find rest in their souls and in their relationships if it would be meek and lowly. Rest. Rest for your soul. Rest for your environment if you would be meek and lowly. The Greek word for meek means to be gentle, to be strong, very strong, but to be humble and tender. It is a man or a woman with all the emotions and the ability to take and conquer, but is able to control himself in all his ways. It is a state of being disciplined, a man who is disciplined because he is God-controlled, just like Jesus. And here's a quote by Andrew Murray. Men sometimes speak as if humility and meekness will rob us of what is noble and bold and manlike. Oh, that all would believe that this meekness and humility is the nobility of the kingdom of heaven, that this is the royal spirit that the king of heaven displayed, and that this is God-like to humble oneself to become the servant of all. So, Because of the importance of this quality, we're going to make a standard in this church. You have to be willing, before you can go in the mission field, to submit and accept without resistance to the will and the desires of someone else. You can't go in the mission field until you exhibit that clearly. But since this is so essential in personal relationships, the ability to submit and to be a servant and to be humble, we're going to make another standard. You can't, since it's so important that a father has it, you can't get married till you have it, until you exhibit it in abundance. And since it's so important, we're not going to give any assignments to any position in the church at all until you experience, until you uh, demonstrate it. No children's lesson. um, Whatever. Anyhow, (laughs) I'm being sarcastic, but. We need it. We really do. The Lord said. Come and learn of me. And I would challenge us to evaluate yourself. But actually, I would challenge you to ask a few people close to you and ask them, do I exhibit these graces of humility and meekness? Am I meek? Us fathers, are we meek, controlled, disciplined? Ask your wife, ask your children. Power under control, willing to defer to others. Okay, lowliness and meekness. I think that would be enough to keep you going on the mission field. But there's more with long-suffering. What does long-suffering have to do with all this? Well, if you and I truly want to be like Jesus... If we're truly lowly and meek, we will experience certain things. Long-suffering, the word, doesn't directly mean suffering directly. It means more the idea of patience or endurance. But if patience is hard for you, it might mean suffering. If, if you're all out in the van ready to go to church and there's still someone in the house and you're waiting for them and you're blowing the horn and you're waiting, it's time to go and if patience is hard for you, maybe that actually causes you suffering. But long suffering is the idea of keeping on going, having endurance. You know, many of us can actually put on lowliness and meekness for a while. But the way is actually longer than you think it is. And finally, that thing that you put on runs out, wears out. If it's not inside of you, if it's not a part of your character, eventually it'll run out. And this is where you need long-suffering or you need patience. I'm thinking of the walk. I think it was you, John, where you just walked across that valley one time. Was that you and um, a few others on the team? And you thought it was this far. <laughs> and it was, uh, you almost didn't make it, right? <laughs> well, not quite that close. But it was, it was grueling, I imagine. I can't imagine what, it was like, no water, hot sun, dusty desert. And every time you meet somebody, said another 15 minutes or whatever. And they go another two hours, another 15 minutes, you say, whatever it was, I don't know the details. Use needed long suffering in that incident. You know, if you're in charge and you tell others what to do, that's one thing. But if you're going to be lowly and meek, you're going to have some experiences that are difficult. It's not going to be easy. In fact, it's going to be harder than we think. Um, I just think one of the best Bible characters that exhibited patience is Joseph. I know it talks about the patience of Job. Job lost everything and he endured. I know that. But think with me with Joseph. Sold by his brothers went into, sold as a slave, went into Egypt, went on the auction block, was sold, and as a slave, he was faithful. And he got falsely accused, got put in prison and forgotten. And as a a prisoner, he was faithful. He did not understand what was happening at the time. I can't imagine anything made sense. And so here you are in a mission field, or here you are in a situation in your home or church, and things do not make sense. God says, do it this way. You be meek, you be lowly. But it does not make sense. And in fact, things get worse. That's when you need patience, long-suffering. Joseph, though he did not understand all that was happening, he trusted God to work out his plan in his time. Joseph patiently worked faithfully in each situation he was in. He waited for God to fulfill his promise that Joseph would be a leader of his people. You know, he had that promise, had those dreams. He had to be patient as he believed God, but he probably wondered why he was sitting in a prison cell. God did lift Joseph up in great power and responsibility. Not only was he a leader of his people, but he ruled over the people of Egypt too. Patience was needed to allow God to accomplish his purpose in the life of Joseph and his family. The main take-home point is this. If you're going to, have, if you're going to pursue the characteristics of humility and meekness, it's not something you can tack on. It's something that has to be a part of you. And you will be tested. And it's in those testings. It's in those prunings that God brings in your life that those attributes actually become a part of you. Generally, not always, but generally, young Christians are not noted to be humble and meek. They're noted to be zealous and, you know. It is usually with some seasoned, some seasoning some, some battles, some lost battles, that this grace begins to work in us. It's not something you put on. It's something you possess. It's not a place you visit. It's a place that you live. These graces, just like the story of the old traveler, of, the, of a traveler that came to a town looking for a new place to settle. You probably heard the story already. And he met an old man at the edge of town, and they asked the old man, what are the people like in this town? And they questioned the old man, asking, well, what were the people like where you came from? And you probably heard the story, but whatever the people were like where you came from, the old man said, that's how they are here, because you bring yourself with you. Okay. Lowliness and meekness with long-suffering. And it says, forbearing one another in love. In a perfect world, we wouldn't need this word. Forbearing one another? In a nearly perfect world, we probably wouldn't need this this word or this reality. But we don't live in that world. Interpersonal relationships is dealing with other people. And when you relate with other people, you come across grumpy people. You come across crabby people. You come across unreasonable people. Hopefully, you're not one of them. It's perspective, many times. But we come in contact with people who hold grudges, who are bitter. Who are selfish, who are proud, who are not meek and lowly. And we as believers, as we're going to endeavor to walk worthy of the Lord, are going to have to forbear one another. What does the word forbear mean? It means, first of all, it means to put up with. Put up with them. Unreasonable, crappy, grumpy people. you got to put up with them. You can't change them overnight. And if you're one of them, it's going to take longer yet. But you got to put up with unreasonable, grumpy, crappy people at church, at home. Okay, 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 I get it, I get it. i got to put up with it. I'll put up with them. That's what I'll do. I'll put up with them. But, you know, God knows what we think. He knows how we think. So how does he say, oh, put up with them, forbear one another in love. Oh, Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble here. So he gives, he knows we have an attitude. Okay, I'll just put up with him. So he puts a qualifier in there. The qualifier is put up with them in love. Do it in such a way With their best interests in mind, put up with them sacrificially as only love can do. What does love do? Love gives. Love sacrifices. Love cares. Love does not think evil. And you can go to 1 Corinthians 13 and so on. Hopes for the best. Our Lord Jesus was like that. You know, back when he was uh, up in the mountain transfiguration and that wonderful mountaintop experience, um, when he came down, his disciples came to him, and they had this, this boy that was demonic, and the disciples couldn't cast him out. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. Suffer. Suffer you. Jesus uh, forbeared with the disciples, and he did it faithfully. Jesus put up with the disciples. I would dare say that the Lord Jesus has put up a lot with you also and with me. The Lord Jesus has a lot of forbearance. And he calls us to do the same thing with each other. Lovingly, graciously, it means we forgive. In fact, I think when Peter came to Jesus and said, How often should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times that Jesus that Peter did not have a forbearing heart of love. And Jesus gave him the example of forbearance with love is... Seventy times seven, that's forbearance, forgiveness with love. But he left the cupboard door open again. Or he left the toothpaste cap off again. Your sister burned the beans again and we got to eat it. He really should blow his nose, but he has other ways of taking care of it. She has that annoying way of talking. I can hardly stand it. They are so strict and don't allow anything. I can't believe they allow that. And on and on we could go. Interpersonal relationships, forbearing one another. Let's face it. Some of us are crappy and grumpy. Or various character issues. We all had them. Interpersonal relationships. God actually told us how to get along well with one another. He did. It's actually not complicated, but I guarantee you it's not easy. Zig Zagler said this, 15% of the reason people get a job, keep that job, and move ahead in that job is determined by their technical skills and knowledge, regardless of their profession. What about the other 85%? Well, Stanford Research Institute, Harvard University, and the Carnegie Foundation have studies that prove that 85% of the reason people get a job, keep that job, and move ahead in that job has to do with their people skills and their people knowledge. And I would dare say that we, can we just put it in a different context? We can go in the mission field. We can have a church with truth. We can have a home with uh, a vision of how to raise a godly family. Uh, We can have a, 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 a work site or a job where you have things in order. But most, the predominant issue of whether it's successful or not is going to be whether the relationships get well, go well in that organization, whether it's a mission field, whether it's a church or anything else. Someone said, I may not have much money, but I am filthy rich in relationships. The person who said this had his priorities in order because he understood the true value of things on earth. I therefore, as the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Brother Warren, as you go, may God bless you with these graces, and may God bless each one of us with these graces as we interact with one another. May God bless you.